0: This is Alan Seaborn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. And In this episode, I want to talk about priorities. Because all of us know the feeling of something that we would say is one of the top priorities in our lives. And then if we watch how we're living, We watch that that priority slowly moves down the list because other things are more pressing. Other things are more urgent. Uh, We just have a limited amount of time in general and we're pulled in a bunch of different directions. And before long, I'm sure that we all can relate to this feeling. We all know exactly how this happens. The things that are priorities to us. It's not that we're being dishonest saying that they're priorities, but those things just kind of don't happen as often as we would like for them to happen. They're not as uh, they're not as prioritized I'm blanking on a better word for it as we would like for them to be. And I want to share a passage here from, Matthew chapter 22, and I'll just let you know the verse that we're going to be talking about, but then I want to talk about the lead up in Matthew 22 to what happens to get us here. This is when the part of the passage that we're going to be probably most familiar with, I'm guessing that a a good percentage of people listening to this episode probably have this verse, or at least the gist of it, memorized. Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And like I say, probably most of us, are really familiar with that because we know if we were to distill down what it looks like to follow Jesus we you've you've probably heard that some people even distill it further down and just say love God and love people those are the top 2 priorities that Jesus let people know if you want to follow God Here's what it looks like, distilled down really, really simply. Now, I want to take you back and talk about how the lead up to this question and how this answer happened, because Jesus opens Matthew chapter 22, telling, if you're looking at the heading in the passage there, it's called the parable of the wedding banquet. Jesus tells a story. And he he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. And this king, his son was getting married. So the king was putting together a wedding banquet, kind of a wedding ceremony and reception, right? The way we would think about it. And he invited a bunch of people. But the people that he invited to the banquet wouldn't come. So he said, okay, go ahead and go out and just fill the venue, bring people in so that they can come and we've got people there to enjoy the wedding ceremony and the wedding reception. And this story really upset the religious leaders because what they knew is that Jesus was consistently telling them, hey, I'm here, On earth, I'm I'm calling God my father, which we spent an episode talking about previously. But I'm, I'm calling God my father because there's this special connection. And I'm coming and I'm communicating something that Jesus talked about over and over and over. I'm communicating about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And he's speaking to these religious people. And he's saying with this parable that what's happening with me and you, the way I'm inviting you to be a part of what God's doing, the way that God has invited you to be part of what he's doing, and most of you are refusing. Most of you are rejecting it most of you are saying no to the invitation. And now you have to remember why this would be so upsetting is because the Jewish people were God's chosen people. We know all through the Old Testament is talking about how God has made a covenant specifically with the people of Israel and the people of Israel and Judah as the kingdom was divided, but these are God's chosen people. And Jesus is coming and saying, yeah, you are God's chosen people. And then you refuse to come to the party. You refuse to be a part of what he had going on. And so now it, the party is just going to be filled up with a bunch of people, with whoever can be found, because the invited guests aren't coming. They're refusing. And this really upset the religious leaders. So there's a few snapshots in a row of what happens right after Jesus talks about this. Uh, In Matthew 22, verse 15, it says, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. So they ask him a few test questions in a row here. The first one, the one that uh, probably is gonna be the one that's most familiar to us is when he's asked. Now this isn't, remember, this is the setup for this is that they're trying to trap him in his words. So these are not genuine questions. These are questions that are asked because they know it's going to put him in a really tough spot, and they don't think he can work his way out from there. They think this is going to be kind of a gotcha moment when they can prove to everybody that Jesus is not legitimate. Jesus really doesn't have any authority. Jesus is putting himself in a spot where he's conflicting with the teaching that has been passed down there. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to catch him out. They're trying to make sure he fails publicly. And so they come and they ask him, hey, and listen to the way in uh, verse 16 that they set this up. Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. This is how they lead into this question. Can you, can you just feel the tension and the buildup that's happening here. And they say, hey, are we supposed to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus, in a line that is maybe familiar, uh, he takes the coin and he asks whose face is on that coin. When they say Caesar's, he says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. And so you see, he didn't answer the question really uh, the way that they had set it up and were hoping, okay, is it right to pay taxes or not? Jesus doesn't say just yes or no. And he kind of, uh, he doesn't get trapped up by this question. He doesn't get tripped up by this question. So that same day, moving on to the next story, the next little snapshot here, that same day, the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, they came to him with a question. So they didn't believe that there would eventually be uh, whether a bodily or a spiritual resurrection at some point in the future. And so they were saying, okay, Jesus, in our law, we're told that if, if a man dies and he doesn't have any children with his wife, then his brother... Is supposed to marry his widow and have a child so that the line of this original man can live on. And they said, let's say that that happened and it was actually seven brothers who, all of them but the last one, well, I guess the last one eventually would die too, but let's say all these seven brothers are married to this one widow at the resurrection. What's going to happen, Jesus? Whose wife? is she going to be? And Jesus answers this question with, um, to me, you know, I think because we just kind of read through these stories and we're like, okay, yep, then Jesus said this in response. I think we can miss because you get that this is happening in a public spot where Jesus is being directly challenged by first the Pharisees, now the Sadducees, and they're trying to, in front of people, prove that he's not who or what he says he is. So this question, it's a challenge. It's laced with, uh, I don't know, sinister is probably too heavy of a word, but maybe not because they're doing everything they can to prove that Jesus is a fraud. And so Jesus' response here, I really don't think that I'm overstating it to say that when he drops this answer on them, it's kind of like a I mean it's it's not a one-two punch in the sense of like a fight, but it's, he hammers them pretty hard with this response, and I picture—I don't know if any—I don't know if any of you—I actually don't know if anybody, period, watches these shows. But during basketball games, there's commercials for these, like I don't know what they call it, like a roast battle or like a rap battle. Calling that rap is not okay, by the way. It's like basically like as long as you can make something rhyme and say it in kind of like a little sing-songy voice. Um, they're calling it rap for some reason. But anyway, these it's kind of like a slam poetry, but you're trying to burn the other person and use a punchline that really like, hits them and really slams them, okay? And if you've seen those shows or if you've seen the commercials for those shows, you know that the audience, the people that are there watching it, when a great punchline comes out, you've got some of the audience like covering their faces and, oh, some people are like, you know, acting like they're about to fall down. Like, oh, my word, I can't believe it. I picture not quite that response, but sort of close when Jesus gives his answer. Because they ask, okay, all these men have died and now uh, the woman dies and at the resurrection, what happens? And in verse 29, Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. And he goes on to explain what is going to happen at the resurrection. But I want to highlight that specific line at the beginning, because that's kind of the drop the mic moment, right? When he says you're in error because, and he gives these two things, you don't know the scriptures, which he's talking to these people who would be able to quote the entire Old Testament from memory. These are guys who know the scriptures, right? But Jesus is letting them know, yeah, you you know the words but you don't know it. So they don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Now, you imagine the emotional force behind this moment. These guys had showed up, and they're trying to catch Jesus in a moment where they can prove that he doesn't know what he's talking about, that he's teaching people the wrong stuff. And there's a crowd there. And he says this, you don't know the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. These are people whose identity, who not just their life, not just their livelihood, this is the essence of who they are, is teaching people about who God is and what he's doing and what he wants from people. And Jesus is telling those people the reason you're getting hung up on this stuff, the reason that you're asking this question in the first place is because you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. That's heavy. And The third little snapshot here begins in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Now, the Pharisees were one of, you know, this was the group that did the paying taxes to Caesar. They were the ones who kind of started the the gauntlet of questions to try to disprove that Jesus knew what he was talking about. And so they've, you can imagine here, they've kind of like regathered together and like, no, okay, we got a better question. Our first question, yeah, he handled that one pretty good, but let, we got another one. We're ready. We regrouped and we're coming back for a second shot at it. And so one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And you know, when I think of this part of the passage, Jesus' response here, I think how easy it is for us to separate out um, this little moment from what was happening as Jesus was teaching and being challenged and confronted and tested. And these three scenes in a row of people coming to try to prove that he doesn't know what he's doing. And, his answer is to say, love the Lord your God with everything that you have. And in the middle of, you've got to imagine that Jesus didn't appreciate being questioned like this. He was he was a person. He had human emotions. You've got to imagine. I mean, anytime that we know that someone's trying to test us or trying to prove us to be a fraud, you can imagine how that would feel. And Jesus chose that moment to say the first and greatest commandment is to love God with everything. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you can imagine that right then, the last thing that Jesus felt like doing was loving his neighbor, right? These guys that had been spending, you know, we don't know uh, what kind of timeline exactly this took place over. We don't know. But you can imagine that this isn't just, uh, you know, a few minutes of his day were taken up by these people trying to question him and trying to prove that he was a fraud. He's been dealing with these people challenging him, these religious leaders trying to show, hey, we're actually the top dog around here when it comes to religion. This, this Jesus guy is a fraud. You can imagine that after spending some time deflecting this stuff, that he didn't really feel like being loving. He didn't really feel like even saying, hey, it's a it's really important to God that we spend time loving each other. And you know, I think that a lot of people in the church, a lot of us who want to follow after God, we probably find one of those two things easier for us, right? It's probably more natural. For some of us, to love God with everything that we've got, to love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind, we find that more natural, right? It's really easy for us to spend time with Him. It's really easy for us to uh, pray and kind of download our day and talk that through with God and and listen for His response spend time reading and journaling and doing whatever because we're focused in on loving God with everything and then there are other of others of us who it probably comes a lot more naturally to love people and maybe the you know the natural um, kind of I don't know the word for it, devotion, discipline of consistently spending time connecting with God feels kind of like work, but getting out there and loving people, being the person that when you walk in the room, everyone's spirits feel a little bit lighter. Everyone's excited because they know, hey, I'm going to feel appreciated and valued and loved by this person. Um, Maybe it's more natural for some of us to get involved in service projects and get involved in not just meeting people's um, emotional needs by being in their lives, but working toward meeting people's physical needs, working toward meeting people's um, mental needs, working toward meeting people's uh, emotional and spiritual needs, and really connecting in with people in a service-oriented way. And I, I think it's really interesting that Jesus ties these two things together like he does. Because I'm guessing that for pretty much all of us listening, it's not easy, but it's easier, it's more natural for us to love God or it's easier or more natural for us to love people. And Jesus ties these two things. He's asked, "What's the greatest commandment?" So he's asked to give one thing. If you could if you could boil down everything God teaches, what's the one thing? And instead he gives these two. Because what it looks like to follow after God. What it looks like To build our lives modeled after the way that Jesus lived his life is to love God with everything and to love other people. And, you know, as we uh, think about our priorities in life, as we think about the focus that we want to have, or maybe we're looking and saying, hey, I'm, I'm not quite living up to what I say are my priorities. So instead of focusing, it's kind of time for me to refocus a little bit because I want to realign the way I live with what does matter to me. I think that this little snippet here of just a few verses this is Matthew 22, 37 to 40. And in just those four verses, Jesus, he really gives us something that you could make that little four-verse passage your goal for the next few weeks, for the next few years, for what it looks like to live the rest of my life as someone who's seeking to honor and love God, and by extension, that love and that grace and that forgiveness and that peace flows out toward other people. And, you know, I find for me, like I say, sometimes uh, it's more natural for us to love God. Sometimes it's more natural for us to love people. And I find that I probably am not specifically in one of those camps all the time I think sometimes it's easier for me um, to focus in on loving God and then other times it's easier for me to focus in on loving people and sometimes it depends on the people that I'm around <laughs> it's like well I don't I don't feel like focusing in on loving this person because you know we've we've got a history here Um, you know, they just, yeah, anyway, let's not get into it, but, you know, God knows and I know and they know. uh, They're they're just hard for me to love. Like I say, I think it's interesting that Jesus adds this line in when he does, knowing that this isn't just a one-off question that he was asked and he gave this beautiful response. This is in a moment when he's dealing with some annoying, frustrating, challenging, defiant people. And he still adds that in. Because if I'm honest, when I'm dealing with challenging, defiant, annoying people, um, I <laughs> I'd be gritting my teeth saying, yeah, I know God wants us to love people, but ah, I don't know if I can bring myself to say it right now because I'm looking out at people that I, I'm i having a hard time loving these people right now. I think it's helpful to be reminded that Jesus dealt with real life stuff, real life emotions, real people confronting and challenging and like I said, trying to prove that he's a fraud. Now, that's not a moment when you're going to feel really emotionally like, man, I want to give myself on behalf of these people. I want to spend my time serving them and loving them. And I, I really want to try to meet them in their brokenness and try to bring some healing. And that's when he says... Love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's powerful. That's hard. That's coming at a moment when you wouldn't really expect it, right? It's coming at a moment when if I was doing the teaching, uh, I I probably, probably wouldn't have been able to say that because I'd be so annoyed with this person and just go, yeah, the most important thing is just to love God. And I would, I would find myself, right, wanting to use that moment to say something that's going to teach them a lesson. But instead, Jesus, um, he shares the truth. He shares the challenge for all of us. And, um, you know, I sometimes I, I like to talk about, okay, and this is how this plays out in my life. And this is where I think we'll see this in our lives. Um, But with this passage, what I actually want to do is just encourage you to spend some time. Um, I don't know, if you're like me, while you're listening to podcasts, you're probably in the middle of making dinner or washing the dishes or cleaning the house or throwing a coat of paint on the walls. I, I don't know what you're doing. But I want to encourage you uh, to take this encouragement and this challenge from Jesus seriously and ask God if there's a spot where uh, you kind of need to reprioritize, where you need to refocus, where you've been doing okay at loving God or you've been doing okay at loving people, but there are some spots that you could really clean up. And I want to end this by just reading these few verses again. And I want to challenge you as the episode ends to spend a little bit of time just reflecting and asking God, okay, where are some things in my life that need to change? if these are really the top two priorities for God, what can I do to make these my top two priorities as well? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments.